Well, today we reach the final in our 14-week series on the Sermon on the Mount and the living values that Jesus teaches. It's been great to receive your response cards each week as you've trusted us and shared with the ministry team about what God has been saying to you and what you've also been saying to God as well as we've taken time each week to reflect on our message times together. On the front of the circle, you can see a word picture which shows some of the themes or key words that have come out in those response cards in this series as we've connected with God. You might recall at the very start of this series, we talked about this jigsaw puzzle box being the vision we believe God is investing in us. And while we work towards realising that vision, our values reflect how we live, how we behave as followers of Jesus as we travel together. And if there's one area where people struggle, it's in the area of dealing with conflict in a healthy and positive way. I hear the sad account from people who individually and also as families have been negatively impacted by conflict. For those here last week, you were provided with an opportunity to do some homework and imagine that homework in a church, but homework on how we handle conflict. The image often given with the various styles of handling conflict are about collaborating, being an owl, accommodating, being a teddy bear, compromising, being a fox, competing, being a shark, and avoiding, being the turtle. Understanding how we gravitate towards handling conflict helps us to be self-aware and where appropriate learnings can take place and how we adjust to achieve the best possible outcome. It may also be worthwhile acknowledging that while we can deal with conflict in one way, in one situation, whether it be at work, the way we handle that same conflict or a similar conflict at home or in play might vary. And so our handling of conflict can be contextual in that regard. One of the complications we face as Christians is that we can, unfortunately, place inappropriate spiritual value on our priorities or preferences, which results in us distorting a natural and normal tension created in differences or preferences and elevating and escalating those well beyond what is appropriate. For example, which side of the auditorium should the communion table be on? Or what sort of lectern, you know, the the thing that the speakers speak from, what sort of lectern should they have? Or I've experienced in other churches, who controls the kitchen? Or who controls the sound desk? Or the style of music that we sing in church? It's little wonder then that James writes in James chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, and this is the message paraphrase, where do all, well, sorry, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you're willing to risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Now, I wonder how we might react if any of us went to one of the ministers here 
or the leadership group wanting your own way on something. And when you didn't get it, you started to quarrel, you started to gripe, you started to whinge either to the leadership group or the minister or to others. Only to then be told that you're behaving like a spoilt child. I wonder how we would go if James said that to us. But the reality is, on this side of Jesus' return, we will face conflict in the church and in our own individual lives. So how might Jesus want us to handle this? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, but also be ready to turn to Matthew chapter 18. As a precursor to Matthew 7, it's worthy to note that in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus ultimately wants um, us to live in unity with one another. You see, Jesus knows the way we treat each other will be a powerful witness to the rest of the world. And anything less than this unity is a compromise. It's also worthy of note how often we misquote, judge not yet, sorry, judge not lest ye be judged. When we take that verse out of its immediate context and other Bible passages, we can either attempt to dismiss someone coming to talk with us about a conflict or a sin, accusing them of judging us, or alternatively, we can opt out of going to talk to someone about an issue because, well, after all, who am I to judge? But when it's placed into its context and with other passages of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, it reflects that there are times when we need to chat to someone about issues when there is appropriate occasions to judge, whether it be a difference of opinion or a conflict between what they have done or what they want and what should or to have happened. So let's look briefly at Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5 and then as I said earlier we'll flick across to Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got that, great. If you haven't, then the words are on the screen. Um, You'll be able to follow along as well, either with your own translation or the words on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. What I believe Jesus is saying here in verse 1 and 2 is before you go running off to point out another person's fault or their sins or their stuff-ups or to present your wants to someone else, stop. Stop and think about it uh, for a bit and consider before you go, if I was on the receiving end of this, how would I want it to go? Remember we chatted in, chap- uh, in week 10 of our uh, Living Value series about the golden rule and about extending empathy towards others. Well, if someone was to raise this, whatever the this may be, with me, how would I really want them to do this? After pressing the pause button to extend empathy and considering it from another's perspective, then the next step is to consider, can I? Or should I overlook it? 
Do not judge others, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you are using to, or the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Elsewhere in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8, Peter reminds us that a love, that love covers a multitude of sins, offenses, differences of opinions, stuff ups. We should lead with love. So the first two points today is first step in dealing with conflict is to extend empathy, to think about it from the other person's perspective. The next step is to consider whether you can overlook it. Jesus then goes on to say, get rid of the log in your own eye first. In other words, before you go to the other person, consider what you bring to the issue. It is, is it cultural differences? Is it a personal preference? Perhaps they may, you may have been doing a bit of a dig towards them and you've made some uh, offhanded comment or um, had a go at them about something and that's now compounded because they're now having a go at you and they're lobbing it back to you. I've rightly heard it said that I am 100% responsible for the 10, 20, 60, even 95% of my contribution to the issue. I am 100% responsible for my 20%. I am 100% responsible for my 60% of what I have contributed to the issue. But there may also be times when you're a bystander. So your contribution may be as little as 0% to start with. But do your best to keep it that way by how you raise and address the issue with another. So to help us remember this principle of considering what I bring to the issue, my contribution, I'm calling it logging off. I know, bad pun, but hopefully we'll get through it. Extend empathy, consider overlooking it, log off, get the log out of your own eye first. Once you've been through these previous stages, then you can be, become or be a loving spectator. Corny, I know, but if it helps once again, hopefully it will. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, consider for a moment, if you had a friend, an injured friend, with something in their eye, you wouldn't just grab a hammer and a chisel and start going after it with that, would you? You would carefully, considerately, lovingly, gently deal with it in order to do the least amount of damage possible so that healing and restoration can take place as quickly as possible. So if someone were to raise an issue with you, wouldn't you want them to come to you with that sort of heart that sort of concern for you? Extend empathy. Think about it from their perspective. Consider overlooking it. Log off, get the log out of your own eye. Be a loving spectator. The act of loving um, and lovingly going to the other person in chapter 7 verse 5 overlaps what we read about in Matthew 18 verse 15. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to Flick across to Matthew 18, verse 15 and following. Once again from the New Living Translation. 
If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offence. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. It's really important that we, for us as a church, that we get a hold of this as a value to live by. Do you notice how valuing relationships and is honoured in what Jesus calls forth in us in verse 15? The first step that he's talking about here in verse 15 is to go privately, or in another way, go and talk with them. And the reason for going to them is to raise the issue and to win them back. Not just to raise the issue and walk away dropping a hand grenade in their lap. With my coming to Northern, there are a few ways of handling issues that I've introduced. Not because of this church's history, but because of my 20 years of pastoral experience. The first of these relates to notes and letters. I have given direction to the ministry team that any unsigned letters will become unread letters. Why such an approach? Because when these sorts of things are unsigned, when a letter or a note is given to us and it's unsigned, left for us to read, then they remove the possibility of winning the person back. They remove the opportunity to gain further understanding or context. My observation is unsigned letters or unsigned notes bring hurt, not help. Actually, I believe it's a bad idea to raise matters by letter, response card or note, even if you do put your name to the bottom of it. I believe it devalues rather than values the relationship and takes away opportunity for us to draw closer and support each other. It sounds like a no-brainer, but it is amazing how often we forget this important aspect. Being physically present with a person is the best the most effective way of communicating, especially where there are differences of opinion are experienced. Jesus calls us to make going to the person a matter of priority. But if for some reason that is not possible, then with the aid of modern technology, perhaps Skype or phone, that's the next best option. Resist, please. Resist with every fibre of your being to send an email. In their 2003 study, Friedman and Carell noted that email as a means of dealing with conflict reduces feedback and social cues, allows for excess attention to be focused on statements made, enhances biased perceptions of the other party and makes it harder to resolve disputes. And as a result, escalation is more likely than would be the case in face-to-face or phone communication. And when we're referring to the phone, we are not referring to texting or tweeting or Snapchatting or Facebooking. If you choose 
to deal with conflict via text or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat, then I'm happy to have some special time with you later. So where have we come from so far this morning? Extend empathy, consider overlooking it, log off, get the log out of your own eye, be a loving spectator, go privately. For me, the only exception to this rule, and that is if you're going to the other person who you place under, sorry, for me, the only exception to this rule um, is if you go to another person who you place yourself under their accountability and you seek their wisdom and support to reflect them, reflect with them on the best way to address the issue. There may also be need to, um, they would also need to be someone who can keep the matter confidential. If you do anything more, I believe you're at risk of falling into Satan's trap. So for me, if I was struggling with something with someone else and I wanted to raise the matter with them and I wasn't quite sure how best to do it, then I would go to someone that I am accountable to, that I would submit myself to their um, their oversight and their concern for me. I would talk with them in a confidential way about my concerns and my struggles and we'd work through together how we might address this issue. And then and only then would I go back to this person and talk to them about um, the person that I was in conflict with, I'd go to them and talk to them about um, my concerns. But the person that I've placed myself under um, and am accountable to would be able to keep a check and a balance on that. And so I've got a supervisor who I am under professional supervision with the Churches of Christ and I could go to them potentially, talk to them about my concern, but they will hold me ac- accountable to that. So how did you go with it? Did you work it out Okay. Are there areas that you could have done better? That sort of thing. For me to go to others, to gossip around, to talk to others about my concerns, to try and engender and get um, leverage or support for my concerns is inappropriate and should not happen. So you go to the person concerned privately and rather than taking an accusatory tone or to jump to conclusions, I want to encourage you to ask questions first in humility to help bring understanding to you and at the same time help to express value towards the person as well. I believe there is benefit in asking clarifying questions and the response that they give you might give you a new perspective as well. Perhaps this video will help illustrate the point of asking questions before taking action. And for those that are listening on podcast, then you can see this video on the Northern's Facebook page about a cement mixer. So we'll pause the tape now, go to the video, and then I'll catch up with you after that. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that video. So in Matthew 18, Jesus calls us to go privately and to point out the offence. After all, by talking with them with a heart to gain understanding, you may discover there's actually no offence to point out. The desired outcome or result is not just to have them confess, but to win them back, to restore the relationship. In verse 15, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. Confession may be a step in that process, but if we only want to prove our point and not win them back, 
then it has become a heartless exercise. Kind of like that dropping of the hand grenade in their lap that I referred to earlier. Extend empathy, consider overlooking it, log off, get the log out of your own eye, be a loving spectator, go privately. But sometimes that is not sufficient. Then if that is the case, the next step is to get help by inviting one or two other people into the situation. This introduces the opportunity for mediation. Verse 16, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, the role of these two or three witnesses is not to come and uh, to come in and reinforce your point of view, but to pursue biblical values. So they need to be mature Christians, not just your mates. So when going privately hasn't worked, then perhaps what you could do is suggest to the other person that you'd like to have a couple of people, um, a couple of other people come and, and help the two of you in moving forward. So the conversation might go something like this. Would, would you be okay? Like, I, I don't think we're getting as far as we'd like in this. So would you be okay if this person and this person caught up with the two of us to help us work through this issue or this um, challenge that we're facing for the best outcomes and to also strengthen our relationship in the process. Through mediation, a couple of others can assist in the communication process. Sometimes we can get locked into perspectives or and everything gets filtered to confirm this perspective. It's called confirmatory bias. Involving others can help to challenge our biases and to create new paths of communication. Involving others also provides an opportunity to increase understanding of the impact of behaviours that may be consistent with following Jesus. And while the confirming by two or three witnesses may refer to the reporting of the appropriate steps that were taken without a successful outcome, the two or three witnesses can also confirm the success of the commitment for a positive outcome. Once again, the underlying goal is to resolve the issue and to restore relationships. But unfortunately, there are times that even getting help, uh, with getting help, the offence, the sin, the issue remains and there still seems no willingness on behalf of the other to change behaviour. Well, the getting help provides the preparation for the next step, go to the church. This is where the situation moves from mediation, someone working with the two of you so that the two of you can come up with a good outcome to arbitration where a third party comes and looks at the situation and gives a decision of how to move forward. Once again, Jesus teaches in chapter 18, verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Jesus here clearly reinforces the authority of the church. For Northern, this authority may be referred to as the leadership group or in certain circumstances, the church meeting like those we occasionally hold after the service where there's a formal meeting and decisions are made and recommendations brought and voted on. But this is the last resort. If every other avenue has failed 
and the person refuses to respond to your encouragement and the added encouragement of a few other mature Christians, and if they still refuse to acknowledge the authority and the responsibility of the church as given by Jesus, then Jesus concludes that this person has rejected not only Christians, not only the church, but has also refused to come under the lordship of Christ as represented in the church. To pander and kowtow to them places their relationship with you or their relationship with the church as an idol that gets in the road of our following Jesus. Jesus concludes, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Their influence, their ability to speak into the life of the church should be the same as those of a pagan or a tax collector would have. Part of the challenge we face today is that people will at times choose to leave the church rather than have the matter dealt with by the church. And that is such a shame because it often stunts the growth of the individual and the church. The responsibility and authority that Jesus entrusts to the church are not to be taken lightly. For Jesus continues in verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. When we come together and seek God and are willing to submit ourselves to his will, then the decisions on earth will be consistent with God's will in heaven, and that should be our goal. As a very brief aside, may I say that there are times when we will not always agree with each other. And there are two responses that I must admit bug me a bit in my responsibilities as a church leader. That is to be told or to have others told that when I don't agree with a person that I don't listen or I don't care. And I'm aware that I'm not alone in experiencing this. Now, as shocking as this might sound, Mary and I don't always hold the same views on certain matters. But that doesn't mean that Mary doesn't listen to me, nor does it mean that she doesn't love me. It just means that she's right and I'm wrong. Well, probably most of the time. But anyway, um, no, seriously, it just means that we hold different views on that thing. But we remain committed to each other and love each other despite our differences. And wouldn't it be great if we as a church family lived out the same sort of relationship, the same sort of values in our lives? May we respond to conflict constructively by building others up, not tearing others down. You've heard it said most likely. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So what have we been talking about today? First, extend empathy. Think about things from the other person's point of view. Consider overlooking it. Do I really need to bring this up? Or can I just let it go through the keeper? Log off. Get the log out of your own eye first. What have I contributed to this? Do I need to go with an apology as I go to the person? Be a loving spectator. Go privately, get help, go to the church. Remember, God's passion is to see sin, offences 
and issues dealt with positively so that broken relationships can be restored. Today, I wonder what God's been speaking to you about. It may be about starting this process um, when it has to do with an issue that you have been wrestling with. There might be a conflict or a disagreement that's already in place that you just think, how do I move forward? And so maybe this will be a good process for you to engage in. Or perhaps you haven't handled some conflict well. And you may need to go back to that person and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Not to rehash it, but simply to say that God is working with you on this. And you wanted to acknowledge your role in it. And that you didn't start off so well. Or perhaps it's something else. Now, as we have an opportunity to respond, I'd invite you to prayerfully consider what you want to say to God about this how you might want to invite God into the conversation about conflict that you might be experiencing. We're going to have some music played, and after the music's played, um, or while the music's played, I invite you to pull out those response cards, fill them out, and then during the last song, I will come and collect them. God bless you.